Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find three separate speaker feeds with over 200 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Janet. Hi, I'm Janet. I'm a compulsive overeater. I want to thank Walter for asking me to come here today. Um, I haven't spoken at an OA meeting in a while. I'm a little nervous. Um, Just to qualify, I've been in OA for 23 years. Um, Just celebrated 16 years of abstinence. Um, Thank you. Um, I really didn't do it. but (laughs) Um, Let's see. My top weight was 297 pounds. Um, I spent, well, I lost about 150 or or more than that. I was, for many years, about 30 pounds thinner than I am now. When I hit my 40s, I gained 30 pounds, and I've had a hard time getting rid of that, but I'll talk a little bit about that later. Um, Anyway, uh, what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. Um, I was thinking about this on the way over here in the car, and I don't have I don't have any memories of um, having a normal relationship with food. I mean, from the gate, I just I remember being obsessed and just pursuing food with reckless abandon. You know, just um, it was just everything to me. Um, I, I guess I was really I was really headstrong, but I was also very very shy and very bossy and just um, I compensated a lot you know by being bossy and all of that and I was just inside I think I was just this little girl who was just so lost and just so broken you know I, I, I come from a background of just horrible abuse like so many of us I, I believe I was born this very very sensitive child you know some of us are just more sensitive than our brothers and sisters you know and and I, I was just, uh, it was very difficult for me in my family, and um, I mean, I used food to cook, I mean, thank God I had something to, you know, to, to help me get through those days. Um, I remember just, I, I I would hang out with my friends, and, and I would see from a very early age that they could eat certain things and they could stop, and even at a young age, I could see that I, I couldn't stop, and I would kind of wonder about that and then just go on about my business. And um, there were, um, I used to eat like just tons of sweets and just lots of fat and just, I just wanted to eat all the time. And I was very, um, I was just lost. I didn't I didn't know how to be around people. I didn't know how to be in the world. And I, I didn't know how to make friends. I remember like I would, I was very much a tomboy and I liked to play sports and I would, you know, play football with the guys in the neighborhood and they called me tiger you know and I would I would just uh, I mean some some days I was very ferocious and other days I would stand on the sidelines and be so frightened to participate even though I loved the game and I didn't understand why and they would make fun of me you know and it was really I was just so painfully shy and so unbelievably self-conscious you know I just I I, I felt that my, you know, I had to be this perfect, perfect kid, you know, and I couldn't make a mistake or I would die, you know, I just, I had to be perfect, and 
you know, I, I think that's just something that <clears throat> comes about, you know, when you are abused and, you know, you, you don't want to be abused. So you think, well, if I'm just perfect, you know, it will stop and I'll be fine. And um, But it didn't stop, you know, but I carried that survival technique, you know, with me, you know, in, into my adulthood. And uh, But um, you know, I was very driven... <clears throat> Excuse me. I, I had to be the best. I had to be, um, you know, we would have a carnival at our at our school, and I had two brothers and sisters, you know, and they would give us all tickets to sell to everybody, and they would have contests, you know, and whoever would sell the most tickets in the school would win a $5 savings account. It was a long time ago when $5 meant something. Um, you know, so I would, my brothers and sisters would take theirs back, and I would you know, my parents would buy them all for me, and I would, you know, sell them to people. And one year, I actually won that five dollars. And I mean, it wasn't—I um, don't know if that was entirely fair the way that I did it. But um, you know, I—I I, I always had to be the best, and um, I was very, you know, outgoing with sports. And I remember. Um, I would really involve myself to, to, with it to the point where I was like ferocious, you know. I, I, we had to win, and um, I, I, I don't know. That, that person just was there, and I, I wish I could find her, like in later years. But um, you know, I had really good grades. I was an A student and really excelled in you know certain subjects, especially math and. You know, I was at, um, used to win all these math contests in school, and I was, a, you know, won spelling bees in school, not at these national spelling contests. But, you know, I was just, you know, just very driven. And, and whenever I got to be around 12 or, or 13, you know, the age when we start to to develop, and I... I couldn't deal, and I started isolating, and that's when food really became an issue for me. I mean, I was always about, I don't know, 20 or 30 pounds overweight, but when I when I hit that age, I, I really packed it on, and I became a 100-pounder and at that very young age, and I would just stay in my room, and I would go to school, and then I would come home, and I would stay in my room. I did have a couple, well, three, three girlfriends who I would hang out with, but when I got to around the age of 15, I even stopped that. And I would just stay in my room, and I, you know, I started smoking, and I was, you know, eating just tons of food, and just, um, just anything, just to numb it. I didn't, I, I didn't have a clue how afraid I was. I didn't know. I, I, you know, I just stayed in my room, and my brothers and sisters didn't, and I didn't understand why. You know, I, I just, I somehow knew that other people didn't live that way. Um, but that's how my life was, and I was like, I became, you know, just very dangerously suicidal. I was very depressed, and, you know, my mother kept taking me to therapists, and there was a lot of drama in my household. My father was very violent, and my mother um, um, is what I call a rageaholic, and uh, a lot of people call it rageaholic, but um, anyway, I lost my train of thought, I'm sorry. Um, that started happening when I hit my 40s. <laughs> senior moments. <laughs> Drives me crazy. Um, anyway, um, where was I? Um, I remember at the age of 16, 
you know, I quit school, and my parents let me. They just, they didn't know how to be parents, you know. I know today that that was the case, and, and they did the best that they could, and, you know, I know what their parents were like. I've talked to my parents about it, you know, and I, and I know why, my, I've talked to my mother about it. I know why she did the things that she did, and, you know, but I didn't know it at that age. I just thought that they didn't like me, you know, and my father was very violent, and, you know, I would, I would come out of my room, and, you know, my mother would say one thing, and he would hit me, and I would, you know, go against the wall, and, you know, it just, it wasn't a good scene, and I just kept eating and eating and eating, and, you know, I, you know, my mother started me in therapy, and it was, you know, just a lifetime of therapy where I was still eating and eating, and they were giving me all these all this medicine that would numb me out, and, you know, it just wasn't, it, it enabled me to live in the world, you know, I started having horrible panic attacks, it was just not a good life for anybody to have to live. My mind was just off in fantasy all the time, I couldn't deal, and I didn't hang out with any of the friends I had when I was kids, and when I was a kid, and I... I you know, I would sit in my room. This was my day. I would stay up all night. I would listen. To, I love music, and I, you know, I had this eight track and headphones, and I would lay on my floor all night just listening to um, Loggins and Messina, you know, and The Who, and um, Harry Nilsson, and um, you know, I would get up and go into the kitchen and make myself a big salad, you know, like at two o'clock in the morning, just saturated with dressing, and just go back into my bedroom and and eat it and. You know, I would finally at around 7 o'clock in the morning, I would fall asleep, you know, and then I would stay up, you know, sleep all day until around 4 o'clock, and then I'd have to get up and get dressed real quick so my father wouldn't know I was still in my pajamas all day, and, uh, you know, because he'd be coming home from work, and, you know, and, and I would just be smoking nonstop and just, you know, having a grand old time with my addictions. You know, I lived in a total fantasy world, um... I think of them today as imaginary playmates, you know. It's like they're the same thing to me, you know. You, just, you can't live like that in such isolation and and not do that, I believe. You know, you have to have some sort of life going on. Otherwise, what's, you know, what's the point? You're, you're not going to stay alive. And um, so um, but I just had this very rich fantasy life, you know, and, and I wanted to be an actress, and I just... Uh, you know, we talked all the time about moving to California. I lived in Houston. This is in Houston at the time. And, you know, I talked for years about it. And I really wanted to be an actress. And I was lost in fantasy. And, you know, I just, I didn't know how to change anything. I would go to therapy and it didn't change anything. And I wasn't feeling better. And I was getting very suicidal. And, you know, I finally around, this was uh, 86, the beginning of 86, right before my 29th birthday, um, I, I crashed uh, emotionally. I just had this horrendous emotional bottom, and I would, um, you know, go to the cafeteria at, at lunchtime where I worked. They had a cafeteria, and, you know, I'd sit there, and I would just cry, and this was new because I was never able to cry, and, you know, I would get up in the morning, and I was crying, and I just, I, I just couldn't take it anymore. I just wanted to die, and um, I bought a gun, and, you know, I... I I told my father, I told my parents about it, and my father, who was a cop, offered to teach me how to use it. Um, my mother, on the other hand, got me back into therapy, you know. <laughs> and, you know, for five days in a row, she found this therapist, and, you know, he, he didn't have any time in his schedule, but for five days in a row, he came in early every day to see me until I would agree to go into the hospital. 
And um, so I ended up in this hospital and where I stayed for nine weeks was very um, proactive, progressive hospital where I had therapies all day long. And there was a woman. I mean, at the time, I was, you know, I was about 100 pounds overweight at that time. And there was a woman on my unit. They didn't see me as having an eating disorder, you know. I was supposed to push away from the table, you know, exercise a little willpower. There was a woman on my unit who was bulimic, and her her doctor was uh, sending her to OA off campus. And I asked my doctor if I could go, and he said yes. And so that was um, my first, it was March 12, 1986. It was my first meeting um, oh, <laughs> in a church in, in Houston. Ah, thank you, God. Um, it was a small meeting, and I remember there was this woman there who was taking a candle, I don't know, for how many years but she was like oh boy yes woo woo <laughs> she was happy you know <laughs> and I was like I just didn't believe her you know I went this it was I didn't believe her at all and when I got out of the hospital um the seed had been planted you know it didn't matter that I didn't believe her what what happened was I I got myself a directory and I found a meeting that was more to that spoke to me more, you know, and um, I actually got a sponsor. For me at that time, I couldn't feel anything. It was all on a very intellectual level, and I was drinking tons of Coke, you know, every day. I was drinking Coke and eating lots of sugar and high-fat stuff, and, but I, you know, I got the 12 and 12, and she went through, you know, step one with me, and then step two, and I never made this connection that it was the steps that did this, but I stopped drinking the Coke. And I, I, it wasn't until years later I realized it was from working the steps with her, even though it was, you know, very intellectual for me and I was still eating all this other stuff. You know, I was hardcore and this was huge, you know, that I was not drinking this Coke for, you know, a couple of months. And anyway, I continued to go to meetings and um, I started to feel ready to move away from Houston and to actually move to California and study acting. And I, I actually was able to do that. It was about nine months later. And so I found a meeting out here. And um, for this was in 1987. And so for about the next five years, I would go to OA off and on. You know, it, it just wasn't grabbing me. Um, I don't know what it was. I, I Maybe I just wasn't ready. You know, I was... Uh, I would go to, to ACA, you know, and, and I, I, I had some idea that if I worked the steps, I was afraid of the amends step. I thought that meant that I had to go to my father and, and apologize for everything he had done to me. Like, you know, it was my fault, you know, and it scared me and I wouldn't do it. And I didn't realize that I didn't understand what that step was all about and that I had it wrong, <laughs> really wrong. Anyway. So I would go back and forth with, with OA and, you know, going to ACA. In 88, I, I quit smoking at that time. Um, I'm, not, I'm not smoking anymore, but at that time I was still smoking up, up to about four packs a day, and I, I quit smoking, and my eating disorder just kicked into high gear, and I gained 50 pounds in two months. I, I, for the first time in my life, I was having problems with mobility, you know, like just trying to move, you know, roll out of bed or whatever, and... Um, then one night I woke up and I was in just horrible pain. You know, it's like three in the morning and 
I um, sat there for a while, and I took some Maalox, and I just kind of sat there, and then I, I laid back down, and I somehow was able to go back to sleep, and then I woke up at 5 a.m., and, and I knew I had to go to the emergency room. Um, I mean, at that time, I had a roommate, and we weren't really friends, and I was all alone, and I, um, I was, you know, estranged from my family, and I, I went to, I drove myself to Cedars, you know, they did some tests, and I, I had some pretty serious gallbladder issues, and they had me see a surgeon, you know, who was like, you're going to die, we have to do this now, you have to have surgery, you could die, you know, you're going to, the way you eat, you're going to end up back in here, you know, as an emergency case, and you're going to die, and, you know, gastroenterologist was there, and he's like, saying, well, you know, I think we can control this for a while with diet, you know, and I liked his answer, you know, and, you know, so um, they're like, well, you you can't, you need to get somebody to come in and pick you up, you know, because they've given me all these drugs, and I'm like, okay, you know, and so when they weren't looking, I, I snuck out and got in my car and drove to Del Taco, so, um, which was <laughs> not cool, but uh, anyway, somehow I got what they said, you know, and I... That, that was my bottom, and I didn't even know that until years later that that was my bottom. And I started, my internist sent me to um, a dietitian, and, you know, this is my story. I just want to, you know, different things for different people. But I, I had to learn about food. I knew about chocolate milkshakes. I knew about hamburgers with eight pieces of cheese on them. That was food to me, you know. <laughs> I didn't know about it. I really, I didn't know. And round-the-clock, you know, jack-in-the-box. Um, I was a burger fanatic. Just bur- I love burgers to this day. But anyway, I digress. Um, I uh, see. <laughs> still says it to me. <laughs> Only today I eat chicken burgers. Uh, actually, I hardly ever eat a burger, but uh, occasionally I do. Anyway, so I started working with this woman, going sporadically, you know, to OA. The weight started to come off, and what started to happen for me was. Um, I didn't understand the concept of withdrawal and the symptoms that come up when you're not feeding the disease. And it sent me, you know, for nine months into this a tailspin. I was so hyper. I was, like, walking around, and I, I couldn't think straight. And, you know, I was, like, flying, and I, I didn't know what it was. And um, after about nine months, it started to settle down, and, and I became dangerous and suicidal, and I had to be hospitalized. And uh, actually, somebody hit my car, and that spurred me into it, you know, and so I ended up in, in the hospital again, and uh, oddly enough, you know, this was a, a hospital that had a big 12-step thing, you know, they would show Bradshaw and have 12-step meetings, and they had like A-track and B-track, the A-track was for the non-addicts, and the B-track was for the people with eating disorders and addictions, and they put me in A-track, I'm the biggest addict on the planet, you know, <laughs> and they, they couldn't see that, again, because I was a compulsive overeater. You know, and I guess they just didn't see that as an addiction back then. You know, I think it's different today. But uh, anyway, fortunately, I, I, I kept questioning why I wasn't able to be an OA, what it was that was like, what was it that was that was making me hesitate, that was keeping me away, that would make me go to other fellowships but not you know, the main one that I needed to be in. You know, it actually was read, I was reading this John Bradshaw book, and I finally, he talks about the steps, and I finally got that I didn't have to go and apologize to my father for everything he did to me. Um, I went to a meeting that night, the minute I realized that, and I've been here ever since. I haven't left. I immediately, in working with this dietitian, I was able to lose my weight, and um, I still had 
a little bit to lose. And when I came back into OA, I, I lost that. And I went in the opposite direction and became anorexic. Um, but I was in the program at the time. And so I didn't have to go, you know, to the depths that that disease can take you. It, it's, it's, anorexia is very difficult to recover from. And uh, uh, not that overeating isn't, but, you know, it, it's a different kind of animal. Um, for me, it was anyway. But, uh, you know, I lost the weight. And then I, I just kept coming to meetings. And, you know, it, it's funny how God shows me what, you know, what I need to hear. I would start coming to meetings and I would start hearing people speakers of talking about anorexia, you know, and I, I wasn't making the connection. And then finally, I just started looking, you know, I would sit down to eat, and I would eat one bite of food or two bites of food, and I would just be so full, you know, I just I just had to force myself to eat, you know, but I eat three meals a day on my abstinence, three meals a day, snack in between if I need it, uh, I have this snack, not a meal, um, and no obvious sugar, and I eat I may eat a little bit of teriyaki sauce, but I don't eat much sugar at all because I don't handle it well. My body just won't metabolize it. And I end up with all kinds of problems. But uh, I, I was just very willing whenever I came back in, and I, I was like a sponge. You know, I just wanted, you know, what was here and what was being offered. And um, I started working with a sponsor, and I had been eating three meals a day with a snack in between for a while, you know, ever since I started working with that dietitian, but I was still eating sugar. You know, whenever I I started working with this sponsor, I started working the steps with me, and when I was working step two, you know, I was, before that I was going to one meeting a week, and I had a coffee commitment, but after after that, I I was working step two, and, and I just, obsession for my sugary snacks was just lifted, you know, and my food got really clean. And I started craving meetings in, instead of the frozen yogurt I had been eating. And uh, I was working with that sponsor, and I started to feel like I needed something else. And um, I was I was at a meeting one day. It's funny how God works in my life, you know. He, he sends me what I need, you know. And I was, what we all need. <laughs> I was at this meeting, and it was uh, a meeting in Culver City that's no longer there on Saturday afternoons, uh, step study. And um, the speaker that day, I wanted to find a speaker who could help me with my fourth step. I had stopped working with this this messy speaker, a sponsor, um, that could help me. And the step that day was the fourth step. And there was this woman who, you know, was speaking. And afterward, I was just just so blown away by how similar we were, you know, her story. And I went up to her and I asked her to sponsor me. And, and she's like, you know, I'm just I I'm full. I just have so many people, and I said, oh, I wish you could, and, you know, I wish is a prayer, and she said, well, okay, but we can only talk like three times a week, <laughs> you know, and so we, we started over again, and, you know, and I started doing my fourth step with her, and, and you know, it, it's, I just found when I started working the steps, that's when my life started to change just so quickly and so drastically, you know, I, I did this fourth step, and it was... I think 96 pages long, and I tried to do the columns. I I couldn't do the columns, and I I found this this inventory guide from uh, 12 and 12, and you know I just followed that, and and it worked for me at at that time. I do the columns now, but my first inventory columns just I needed to confess, and you know I I wrote this 96 page narrative, you know this is confessional, and you know. Uh, 
and I, I read that to her over two Saturdays, and uh, uh, I just think it's so extraordinary that, that we do that. We sit there, and we, you know, we're there for each other, and it's amazing to me. I had never experienced anybody being there for me like that, and I, I learned, you know, to trust from people like that, and, you know, from everybody in this program who, you know, would ask me, are you okay, and, you know, how you doing? Um because I, I couldn't trust anybody. I, you know, I thought I was so unlovable that nobody would want me. Boy, I was just so wrong. And uh, anyway, so things started to move kind of quickly for me at that point. And I just, you know, I was so eager, and I started sponsoring, and I just, you know, my life just really started to change um, so dramatically, like I said. And I guess for about the first year, I was on that pink cloud that, you know, we so many of us have experienced and, uh, and that we hear about. And... After that, life started to get real, you know, and I, I just, you know, fortunately stuck really closely, really close to the program and um, sponsoring, going to meetings, you know, reading the literature. I've had always had a problem with the phone, you know, because I am an isolator, but I would do the best that I could and, you know, just do what I could at meetings, you know, if, if they needed help, you know, putting the chairs away or if they needed you know, somebody to talk to the newcomers or, or whatever after the meeting, I was there. You know, it, it, it kept me abstinent as I started to go through things. And, you know, I, I, I've experienced so much change in this program. And I, you know, I, I have a career today that I actually like. I still study acting and I do all that, you know, and, but I don't earn my living that way. And, and it's been enormously healing and therapeutic, but, um, it hasn't, than my God's will for me yet. But anyway, um, you know, I, I was working for this company, I mean, a large company that was like 175 people, and I was there for about nine years, and I spent that, I must have entire nine years reacting, you know, to people. You know, <laughs> I was like terrorized in the beginning, you know, and it just, it, I just was thrown into it, and that's, you know, where God put me so I could work on that stuff, you know, and I would call my sponsor and, you know, I would be freaked out and, you know, and she would help me through it and, you know, give me direction on, you know, my thinking and, and, you know, how to change my thinking and, you know, to, I used to go in the bathroom and just pray and I would, I would look, you know, like at the wall or the tile and try to find out what was good about it, you know, I read page 449 all the time, which is now 417, but I, I, I read it all the time and so I would always try to find what was good about something, you know, and, and even if it was the tile on the bathroom floor, I, I, you know, I had to get out of my head and I had to get grateful and, um, and stay grateful and, um, you know, but what happened to me at work, it was really interesting. I used to be a bookkeeper, and I absolutely hated it. I, you know, I was a map whiz, and I just hated doing that kind of work. And I was working in business management, and it was so stressful, you know, if you were doing accounting. And we, I, there was, I, I kept telling them I wanted to do something else, you know, and nothing was coming up. So, you know, um, they handled music, and they decided to start this department, you know, doing music publishing and, and royalties. And, um, you know, one day I'm literally sitting there, at my desk, faxing out resumes, you know, because I just couldn't stand it anymore. So I'm looking for another job doing the same thing, you know, and that's where my thinking takes me. And I faxed out a resume, and then my phone rang. And it was one of my bosses telling me I had a new job, and they were going to, they put me in this new department. So I, I got to change, I got to help start this, this department, but learn 
a whole new career. You know, I, I never thought of it as a career before. I thought of it as a job, but it's a, it's a career. And I became a paralegal, you know, in the, in the process. And I'm, it was something, doing this work that I'm, I really like it, and it's fulfilling to me. And I, it, it pays better, you know. And I've got to meet some really interesting people. And um, after about nine years, I, it was time to leave there, and I ended up going to a law firm uh, and doing the same thing. And, you know, it's just a gift from God. You know, it's, it's amazing. I, I, I've been, you know, I've been thinking about this a lot lately. I, I keep, whenever I, I make plans to do anything, you know, like even if it's to plan how I want to, you know, Set, set goals to plan, you know, how I want to act or whatever, how I'm going to build this career for myself or I'm going to do anything. It's like, it just never works, you know, and then all of a sudden something will come to me from out of left field that I didn't expect. And I'm like, okay, do what's in front of me. Do the next indicated action. I'm somebody who needs simplicity. I need to keep things as simple as possible um, because I'm, I am crazed, you know, and I've, I'm just not altogether there, you know. <laughs> I'm just, what is, what is it saying? We're here because we're not all there? <laughs> well, that's certainly me, you know. Um, in the past few years, I've, I've really struggled. I, I, uh, I quit smoking in eight years ago in May. And at the same time, I, I hit the 40s and the perimenopause and all that stuff, and my metabolism just stopped. I wasn't, my food did not change, but I gained 30 pounds. And I was not happy about that, you know, and I've had some health issues. I, I've been dealing with some spine, problems with my spine, and, and I had spine surgery on my neck. And uh, it three years in August, and there was a complication, and then I had to have another surgery six weeks later. And the whole ordeal, I mean, it was major surgery, the first one, and you, know, you have to fuse the bone and all that, and it takes a lot of your energy and to have that second surgery right, you know, piggybacking on that, it, it left me with chronic fatigue. So I'm, I'm not able to exercise now, and I'm not able to reduce my calories. So I'm like, I'm pissed off, you know. <laughs> so I'm like, it's it's very hard. It's, I'm really having to get to a place of acceptance, you know, and I'm really the one thing that I've wanted. I mean, people, I have opened up enormously to people, you know, over the years, and it's been, a, that's, that part has been slow for me, and this past year, I've been doing some really intense spiritual work, it has really just sort of, like, really opened me up, you know, up, open, it's just like, it's sort of cracked me open, and I've been craving community, and, and people, and friends, and relationships, and my mind is on, you know, I, I want to get married, and, um, so when I think of marriage, and I think of, oh, my body's so ugly. You know, it's like I go immediately to that body dysmorphia. Um, and so that's what I'm working on now, you know. And when I think that I can't exercise and, you know, I, I am not able to. Right now I'm not. I mean, there's a food plan that I'm trying to start following with some vitamins and all this stuff. But it, it's been difficult for me. Um, because I, I eat most of my meals out, and this I have to really eat at home. And But I've been thinking, you know, and I think that if I, even though I, I can't actually diet, you know, um, even, well, uh, I'm not able to reduce my calories because I end up, you know, after about two days, I'm like on the floor with no energy. I'm just, I'm not able to do it. So, um, 
but I thought, well, what I can do is I can eat, eat the amount of food that I would need to maintain the body weight that I want to be, you know. And I figure, well, that might work. You know, it, it would be really slow, and, um, but who cares, you know. Um, so I'm going to try that, but I'm trying this, this, new, trying this new food plan and, and have all kinds of vitamins and anyway. But it, it took me several years. I didn't understand in the beginning why I'd gained this weight because I was still eating the same. And I was very slim for a long time, you know, thanks to this program. And, and I just, uh, I didn't understand why I had gained weight. And when I quit smoking, I worked with a coach to make sure I didn't. I worked with her for a year. And she would say to me, well, you m-, I'd say, I'm not eating anything additional. And she'd say, well, you must be eating something because you're gaining weight. And I'm like, well, you know wasn't true. Well, I was eating something. What was happening is that whenever I, before I quit smoking, I was also sick because from the smoking. And I didn't realize, I had hypoglycemia, just very severe and, and fatigued. And I was just feel sick all the time. And I would smoke a cigarette and feel even sicker. Um, I didn't make the connection, though. But it took me a while. And I realized that when I quit smoking, my body started to heal. And I was, I was eating a lot of food before. And I didn't realize how much food I was eating. And I was eating a lot of carbohydrate. And uh, my food is very different now. And, you know, it, it's good. Sometimes my meals are bigger. Sometimes they're smaller. That's what I have learned in this program is, like, it's, like, up and down. You know, it's not by any means perfect. And, and I've really worked hard over the years to get away from, you know, um, trying to be perfect because that's deadly for me. You know, it's at the root of everything for me. And um, so anyway, um, I think I'm going to wrap it up now. I think we've actually talked for that, that long. Um, so anyway, thanks again, Walter, for asking me. Any questions? Hi, thank that. you so much. Um, can you talk about forgiveness as it pertains to your relationship with your father? Oh, right. Um, yeah, what a great question. I didn't talk to my father for about 10 years. And he he died um, before years. He died on Father's, father's Day four years ago. But I, ha- I did start talking to him. I, when he died, I hadn't seen him in six years, but I had talked to him on the phone. And I, I finally got to a point. I didn't see a lot of my family for a while. And... When I made my amends, I asked them, I asked my mother, you know, I told her what I was doing and that I didn't want any contact with them. And in the beginning, I would write, write these letters to my father where I was a judge and I was condemning him to death for all his crimes. I mean, it was really intense. And over the years, what started to happen was I started to, I started to understand, as I got better, I started to understand that they did the best that they could do. And I grew up. And I, I got to a place where I was able to let, not so much let it go, but just, well, let it go to a certain extent. I mean, it comes up every once in a while, but to just really realize he is or was who he was. And I was never going to get what I needed from him. I was never going to get any type of amends or anything from him and, you know, any acknowledgement that there, I made my amends, you know, to him. And it was very brief, and I, I just I wrote him a, a letter, you know, and it wasn't one of those letters where I was condemning him. It was just apologizing for my part that I wasn't the perfect daughter, you know, I didn't mean, perfect, but um, it was very brief and to the point, and then I just let it go. And 
it's interesting because as he got older, I actually started to like the person that he became. You know, he was much calmer. And um, I know today, I mean, my parents had five kids in the house, you know, and I, I see my friends and other people with two kids, and, and you know, they, it's not easy. They drive them nuts, you know, and they had five. You know, but I, I know a lot about their backgrounds now, which I didn't know before. And the main thing, I think, is I grew, I grew up, and I made an amends for my part. I was able to really separate my part and uh, just, just know I wasn't going to get, you know, what I needed from him. And the result was when he died, I was not, I, I, I never could trust him. You know, my mother has made an amends, several amends to me in the past, very recent past, and um, but my father never could, and I, I just, I didn't respect him, you know, and but you know, I, I, it's not that I needed an amends from him. It's just I think that if I was going to respect him and and trust him and allow him into my life, I needed that. Because I, you know, with our background, I just couldn't trust him. So, but, uh, do I answer your question? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.